Near the end of King David's life, in 1 Kings chapter 1, his son Adonijah prepared himself to be the next king of Israel uh, without his father's knowledge. Um, with the backing of Job, who was the commander of David's army, and Abathar the priest, and a lot of other important men in David's administration, Adonijah, um, he, he basically put on his own inauguration. He was going to put himself to be the new king, uh, but for strategic reasons, he didn't invite uh, some other individuals in the land. He didn't invite Nathan the prophet, nor did he invite Benaniah or any of the other mighty men of David, or, or especially Solomon, his brother. And, and when Nathan found out about this, Nathan the prophet, he went to Bathsheba and explained that Adonijah is putting himself up to be his king without David's knowledge. And so Bathsheba goes to David and says to him, what is going on here? Your son is taking over the throne without you knowing, but you had promised to put Solomon in your place when you were gone. And so David basically and Nathan put together this, this plan to have Solomon anointed as king. And when Adonijah found out about this, he was fearful. He was fearful for his life. And he went to the temple and he went to the altar and he grabbed hold of the horns of the altar and he begged, begged Solomon to spare his life. And Solomon agreed to do this on one condition. If you are a worthy man, he said, Adonijah, if you are a worthy man, I will spare your life. Now, at that time, he was spared, but after uh, David had died in the next chapter, we see that Adonijah goes on ahead and, and tries to usurp the throne once again. He was, he was not an honorable man. He was not a worthy man. He was not humble in defeat. And as it turns out, he was not worthy uh, of Solomon's trust, and eventually he was ordered to be executed by his own brother. See, we, we all want to be worthy in a sense, uh, in this life. Of course, uh, God is to be uh, worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Psalm 18, verse 3, that says, He is, to be, is worthy to be praised alone. You know, but we, we too want to be worthy, and we're called to be worthy. Christians uh, in Ephesians 4, 1 says, We are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling that we have been called. Uh, we, we want to be worthy in that sense, but not at the expense of being puffed up or, or arrogant. In the New Testament, there is a record of the account of someone who is said to be both worthy and unworthy within a few verses of each other. And that's the study we're going to look at tonight in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. The background of this individual that we're going to study tonight his and his faith that's on show, it might shock us a little bit about who this individual is. But that is why his faith, we're going to see, is noteworthy for us to study. So let's look at, look at Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. As I read this, when he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, 
He is worthy for you to grant this to him. For he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. We notice in in this lesson this evening that the centurion, the faith of the centurion was worthy. See, Jesus arrives in Capernaum, and this really is, the Bible explains that this is his hometown. This is his base of operations during his ministry. You know, Jesus was, was born in Bethlehem, and he was reared, raised in Nazareth. But it was Capernaum, which is really where his base of operation was during his ministry. And he was informed of this centurion who had a, a servant, who had a slave, who, who was not doing well. Now, most likely, this centurion was a Gentile. Uh, a centurion was a Roman officer, and he was usually in charge of a hundred uh, soldiers. And, and this man would have rank, uh, but he wouldn't be up that high. He would have a lot of su- superiority uh, or superiors over him. But he was the guy who was responsible for the recruitment and the discipline and making sure the orders were followed. But unlike other commanders within the Roman army, the centurion fought in battle with his soldiers. That's why they were well respected. They're called the backbone of the Roman army. And it was said that the best man in the army was to be the centurion. That's the position that they held, a man of high morals, noble character. That's who they wanted to be, the centurion. And it's interesting, every time we read of a centurion in the New Testament, they are, they are portrayed as good uh, decent people. Of course, we have this uh, account here in Luke chapter 7. We have the account of the centurion at, at, the, at the cross. If you remember the centurion there, um, after Jesus had died, he, he made the statement, truly this was the Son of God. Right? It, it, almost as if he believed. In, in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, he was a centurion. Right? He is the first Gentile converted to Christianity. How ironic that it's Cornelius who is chosen. And in Acts 27, remember when Paul's on his voyage to Rome um, and there's the shipwreck and the, the soldiers want to kill all of the, the, the criminals who are on board, those who are under arrest. And it was the centurion who stepped up and said, no, do not do this. He was looking out for Paul. But the focus, the focus in this account is not on the faith of the centurion slave, the one who is um, who is hurting, the one who's dealing with problems. And interestingly enough, we're never told about the faith of the servant. We're never told about that. In, in another account of the same uh, account, Matthew chapter 8, we're told that this man was lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Again, how did that happen? We're not sure. But the idea is, is that he was in great distress and he was racked with pain 
And it was a serious condition. And so, uh, so he, the centurion sends his friends to Jesus and says, come and save his life. It was that important. Again, yet, and he was healed, as we see in this account. He was healed, yet we're never told about his faith, about the centurion's servant's faith. But the centurion had these Jewish friends, these elders, and he implored to Jesus on his behalf that this man was worthy. We're told that he was a friend of the nation, that he loved our nation. And that word there, love, is agape love. It's a love that you want what's best for the other person. This wasn't a brotherly type of love, a friendly or a neighborly type of love. But this was an agape love that he had for these people. It even said that he helped build their synagogue. And what that probably meant is he helped finance it. But this, this man, we're told, is worthy. He is worthy of their consideration. His faith, we notice, crossed barriers. Again, this man, this this centurion was a Gentile and a Roman. Of course, we've talked about this a few weeks ago that, you know, how Gentiles were seen as unclean uh, to the Jews. But on top of that, he was also a Roman. Right? The Romans were the, the government of the day. They were the ones who were in charge, the disciplinarians. And so not only was this man uh, a Gentile, but he was also a Roman soldier. But that didn't matter to the centurion. Right? That, that did not matter to him. His faith showed no favoritism. In, in the book of James, starting in, in chapter 2, verse 1, James has something to say about that. He has something to say about the problem of being partial, of having favoritism towards others. He said, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Right. This man's faith crossed barriers. It didn't matter to to him that they they were Jews, that they, they had their differences, but he wanted to help them. He didn't show favoritism. And, and that's an indication for us of how we treat others uh, as what we believe in God, right? If we truly believe in God and God's word, we're not going to have favoritism over other uh, individuals, no matter what the circumstances. We can't separate our human relationship from the fellowship that we have with the Father. And so this man's faith crossed barriers. And we also notice that he was involved in God's work. He was active and not just a bystander. He was generous. He was community-minded, community-focused. The good he did benefited others, right? We see that in his faith. James, again, in James 2, verse 24, says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone, right? We see these, these good works that this man did on behalf of this nation, and his faith was an act of faith that helped these people out, and his faith also worked for the good of others, especially his servant, 
See, again, in chapter 7, it says, in verse 2, it says he was highly regarded by him. Or maybe your translation says he was dear to him. But the, the idea is, is he was very valuable, this servant. You know, under Roman law, uh, a slave, a servant, was basically defined as property. But this centurion did not treat him that way. He did not treat him that way. You know, we have many around us. Many around us needing help. They're hurting, just like this centurion's servant. Is our faith strong enough to lead to helping others? Right? We see this man, the centurion, and his faith was so strong that he was going the extra mile. He heard about Jesus somehow. He heard about the, the authority and power that Jesus had, and he wanted him uh, to come and, and help him. And his servant is our faith. Allow us to be content with the lost and the hurting so long as, as, uh, as, the say, as we are saved and comfortable, right? Uh, are we going to put ourselves out there? Are we going to put our faith out there and help those who are hurting and lost? Or are we going to be comfortable just sitting, uh, sitting down out of, the, out of the way? See, we see that um, this man, he crossed barriers, and he loved those who are different from him. I like what Paul says in Colossians chapter 4 to this effect. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, starting in verse 5, he says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. See, in the eyes of the centurion's friends, uh, who, who were, again, of Jewish descent, this man was worthy. His faith was worthy. But then we also notice in these same passages that the centurion regarded himself as not worthy. See, Jesus starts to head towards his home. He, he agrees to go and help him. But, his, but he, again, sends his own friends, his own delegation to the centurion. And says that through uh, the centurion that he is not worthy for Jesus to enter his abode. He says, just, just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. He explains to him that, you know, I'm also a man uh, placed under authority, right? Just, just as I have men under me and I tell them to come and I tell this other one to go. You know, I understand that you have the authority to do these things. You have the authority to heal, the, heal um, my servant. What can we learn from the aspects of this centurion uh, that he considered himself not worthy? Well, that was because he was humble. He was a humble man. He realized that what Jesus could do for him, he could not do on his own. See, again, others thought him to be worthy while he saw himself as unworthy. You know, and maybe what he was doing is he was trying to protect Jesus and he didn't want Jesus to have to come to his home and have to deal with the problem again of a Jewish man entering in the home of a Gentile. And maybe he was just looking out for Jesus. But we notice that the centurion, he doesn't use any of, of the things that he has done in the past for these people. He doesn't say, you know, look what I built for your nation. Or he doesn't say, how much money have I poured into your synagogue? Right? And you can't do this for me. He doesn't do that at all. Right? This man is a humble man, a humble centurion. It's like what the Proverbs writer in Proverbs 27 verse 2 says. He said, let another praise you and not your own mouth. 
a stranger and not your own lips. Right? That's what it means to be humble. In Luke 17, follow, follow along in Luke chapter 17, verses, uh, verses 7 through 10. In Luke 17, verses 7 through 10, Jesus is teaching about humbleness. He says, Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down and eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. See, did you catch that in this account that Jesus says? He said there was a servant and he was doing his duties out in the field or he was plowing, tending the sheep. And he comes in as the workday concludes and he returns to the house and the master's not going to say to him, come and sit down and have dinner with me. But no, go, go and prepare my meal. And afterwards, then you can take care of yourself. Actually, the master in this account, he doesn't, he's not even required to thank the servant in what he is doing, what he is obligated to do. Again, this is true humility. After doing all that we are commanded to do, can we acknowledge that we are unworthy? Can we acknowledge that? You know, what, what did David do after he was anointed king? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever looked into that in, in 1 Samuel 16? It tells us that he was back tending the sheep. The, this, this young boy was anointed king, and the next time we see him, he, he's tending sheep. Such humility. There's a story about a, a rider who, who was coming uh, across uh, some soldiers who were, were trying to get this big log out of the way, out of the, out of the roadway. And this rider, he noticed that there was this corporal on his horse, and he was just watching. And the rider couldn't believe it. He said, why aren't you helping? What's going on? And the corporal said, in essence, I'm the corporal. I give the orders. And the rider, at that point, he dismounted from his horse and he went over to the group of soldiers and he helped, him, helped them lift that log out of the road to place it to the side. And the corporal wondered, who was this man? Who was this man who helped him? Well, the, the, the rider got back onto his horse and went over and introduced himself. It was George Washington, the commander-in-chief. And he went up to the corporal and he said, The next time your men need help, send for the commander-in-chief. Right? That is true humility. That, that this individual, uh, being George Washington, the commander-in-chief, got off his horse and he helped these soldiers move that log when the, when the corporal uh, wouldn't even get off his horse. And God needs humble men and humble women just like that. Those who would say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. If the Son of God can humble himself, why can't we? In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ was humble to the point of death. Can we say the same thing? Are we humble individuals? Well, we notice that the centurion's faith is, is worthy, that it's also regarded as not worthy. And then finally, I want you to notice that it is a noteworthy faith. Look at verse 9 again of, of ch- chapter 7 of Luke. It says, Now when Jesus heard this, when he heard of this great faith of the centurion, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Do you notice that about the centurion? That he turned, he turned, uh, the, uh, he stopped, Jesus, Jesus stopped in his tracks. He said, I need to make a point about this to the crowd. And he addresses the crowd and he pub- publicly complimented the centurion of his great faith. Jesus marveled, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. We know in Scripture that Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, meaning his ministry was to those who were of the Jewish descent. Right? That, was his, that was his ministry, to go to them. But it's interesting, as we read throughout Scripture, there are multiple accounts of Jesus um, dealing and, and teaching the Gentiles. In Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, Jesus encounters the the Syrophoenician woman. And if you remember this account, uh, this woman comes to Jesus and she implores, she begs him saying, you know, that my daughter has an unclean spirit and she falls to his feet and she she begs him to cast it out. And Jesus in verse uh, 27, he says to her, let the children be satisfied first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And what he's discussing is, you know, let, the, let the children, let the Jewish nation have their way first. I'm coming to them. This is uh, me coming to them and, and, and begging them to repent of their sins and to teach that. Uh, that was his teachings. That's where his miracles were being performed was to the Jewish nation. But then notice what her response was in verse 28. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. See what great faith this woman had. She said, listen, I I understand. I understand that the the food that you are you're serving, those are for the Jews. But I just need a leftover. I just need a little bit of that 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 miracle uh, to cast out this unclean spirit. My daughter, please, please. And what what does Jesus do because of that? Verse 29, and he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. You see, the, the faith of the centurion, he believed that Jesus could heal his servant, not only heal his servant, but heal him from a distance. Jesus didn't even have to come to his home he could heal him without even touching him. And he understood the authority that Jesus had. Right? He understood that. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at this. There's only twice, two times in Scripture that says that Jesus marveled or Jesus wondered. The first time is in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, when Jesus marveled at the unbelief of Nazareth. 
Again, a place that he was reared, a place where he grew up. He, he marveled at their unbelief. They had a weak faith. But then we see in Luke chapter 7, we see that Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion. See, others see your worth while you understand you're not worthy. That's what it means to have this great faith, a noteworthy faith that others can see your worth. They can see that you're worthy, but you understand that you're not worthy. You're just doing what you're doing because that's what God has commanded you. Will your faith, will your faith be remembered as noteworthy? See, again, as we close this evening, the centurion was an honorable man. And we see that he was extremely humble. But it was his noteworthy faith that saved his servant's life. How do we measure up to the centurion's faith? This kind of faith is well within our grasp. We can have this type of faith. We don't have to put on a big show to impress and amaze Jesus. But we just need to have that great faith as the centurion did. All you need is that type of faith. A faith that shows your humbleness, but also that others can see your worth. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Are you seeking Jesus this evening? If you're here with us and you're not a Christian, we would love to ask you that question. Are you seeking Jesus? The Bible says that if we hear the word of God, we believe with our hearts that Jesus is the son of God, that we repent, meaning we stop doing those things contrary to God's word, that we turn our attention to him, that we confess Jesus as Lord and baptize for the remission of our sins. God will wash away our sins and we can be added to his church. And from that point on, we will live a faithful life for him. For those of you who are, uh, you are Christians this evening, again, I ask that same question. Are you seeking? Are you seeking uh, to, to make your life right with, with the Lord? Are you seeking that, that great faith that we see in the centurion? If we could help you in any way this evening whether it's to uh, baptize you into the, into the body of Christ or to, or to see to your needs of repenting of sin, we would love to help you with that. As together we stand and sing,